0: Broadcasting live, high atop the Sunset Strip, deep in the heart of Tinseltown, it's the Edom Rocks Radio Show. Oh my goodness! And now, your host, Sean Edom. And welcome to another edition of what I like to call, sometimes, from nonsense to god sense. And joining us... Good friend, Dan DelZell, pastor of Wellspring Church in Papillion, Nebraska. And the topic for today is the age of the earth is God's business. A lot of people are interested in knowing how old is the earth. There's a lot of science, geology, climate change, things like that, where people want to know or they state the earth is of a certain age and therefore we must conduct ourselves in a certain fashion. So I guess, uh, Dan, the first thing is, uh, is the age of the earth important? Or is that just a distraction that takes us from the focus away from the saving message of the gospel?
1: Well, I suppose it would really depend on who you ask that question to, Son. I've known a few Christians who feel that it's very important, but I have to say most of the Christians I've known over the years really have not focused too much on that question. Uh, when I wrote Open-Ended Creationism, I used some quotes from um, some very bright minds on this topic, Um, For example, Norman Geisler wrote, "...the Young Earth view has never garnered an important, let alone a crucial role, in the history of the Church." And of course, what Geisler's responding to here are those today who sincerely promote the Young Earth view as the only uh, acceptable uh, Biblical view in their mind, and, you know, frankly, many Christians do not look at it that way. You know, Sonic, you go all the way back to St. Augustine, who's really one of the most important figures in the history of Western Christianity. He wrote way back in the 5th century about the days in Genesis, and he wrote what kind of days these were is extremely difficult or perhaps impossible to determine. And so you've got some who believe the days can only refer to a 24-hour period, But you've got many others who really don't see it that way. You know, Hank Hanegraaff, who of course is known to radio listeners as the Bible Answer Man, uh, Hank wrote, The question of whether the Earth is 4.5 billion years old, as modern geology affirms, or roughly 10,000 years old, as some evangelical scientists and theologians are now maintaining, hinges largely on whether the days of Genesis, chapter 1, are to be taken as indicating literal 24-hour days, or as poetic references to indefinite periods of time. An analysis of the biblical material reveals that the answer to this is not eminently clear, and that some justification can be found for both positions. And this is what I find more often than not, Son, is that uh, people who are really seeking a biblical answer to this question on the age of the earth They really seem to land, by and large, I think, where Hank Hanegraaff lands. Now, granted, you've got some who are promoting um, young earth as the only acceptable uh, option. You've got others who are promoting, you know, an old earth as the uh, only acceptable option. Uh, When I wrote Open-Ended Creationism, um, I really sought to try to base it only on Scripture. And what I found when I did that song is that by going only by Scripture— you, you find that it really is not um, a, a, an important issue that the Bible presents because it's dealing with something that is really beyond us. You know, I have one other quote I'll share Son and it's by John Lennox, who's the uh, professor of mathematics at the University of Oxford. Um, he's a well-known Christian apologist, and uh, one thing Lennox said is, that he said that people feel that the Bible is unequivocal in stating that the age of the Earth is very young, and so on and so forth. And so the big things get lumped together with the lesser things. And the age of the earth is, for example, virtually made a, touch, a touchstone of doctrine when there's so much evidence out there in science against it. And so it, it's very interesting to me um, what has happened on this topic, son, uh, especially in recent decades. And I, I guess I'll just conclude my thought here by saying that you've got well-meaning people who are pushing hard for a young earth, but I think they would be wise to take a step back and, and understand that it's not only a secondary issue, it, it's an issue that um, we don't have to press so hard on, especially given the history of the Church's teaching on it, and, and, and that really comes from Scripture and Scripture alone.
0: You know, what makes it a fascinating question, too, is that you know, mankind, as we are today, and maybe more so than in past, I don't know, uh, a thirst for knowledge and understanding. We are so consumed, I think, with having or at least knowing all the answers so that when it comes to something like the age of the earth, we have to have an absolute answer. It seems like absolute answers where we are where we live living in this society today. But to have an absolute answer and that uh, much of what is written in the Bible about creation is actually written in the context of time outside of time as we know it therefore meaning that's it's, it's actually in, written in maybe god's time
1: well that's exactly right son you know when we when we start looking at this issue of time in the bible we, we really start to contemplate the the eternal nature of god and and you know in romans for example it says for since the creation of the world for since the creation of the world god's invisible qualities his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen being understood from what has been made. And, and so creation itself, Son, really speaks uh, to eternity. It certainly does not uh, just try to get us focused uh, in on some uh, relatively short period of time, like 6,000 years or 10,000 years, when we're dealing with creation, and more importantly, with the nature of God himself. And so as you said, Son, you know, we, we, we want to have absolute answers whenever possible, um, in in critical areas of Christian doctrine, God has given us those very clear answers. You know, when Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life, no one comes to the Father except through me, it couldn't have been any clearer than that, and and there is one road to heaven, and it's through Christ alone. But But when we come to a question as mysterious as the age of the earth, we certainly do not have... Uh, clear biblical answers that will address every possible uh, area we might like to have knowledge uh, in, in this whole realm of, of the universe and of eternity. I, I think of what Paul wrote, son in uh, 1 Corinthians, Now we see but a poor reflection as in a mirror, then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And so, as you said, you know, we're living in this time dimension right now. But one of the things the Bible points out to us is that with the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. And so God is outside of time. Uh, Many people wonder then, well, when did time begin? And in Genesis 1-1, we're told, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. You know, Son, I'd always assumed, I guess, that time began at the front end of that passage, as though God started the clock, and then he gave himself 24 hours, you know, to make the heavens and the earth. But, you know, there are many interesting things that you find when you dig into these early verses uh, and, and these early chapters of Genesis. I mean, one thing that's very interesting is that it's not until the fifth verse, Son, that God gives us the first parameter To measure time. And this parameter is defined with the words, the first day. But even with that first marker in place, we still are not told exactly when the Earth started rotating on its axis, making a complete rotation in a 24-hour period. You know, was it within the first couple days? Or perhaps not until God created the sun and the moon on the fourth day. And so all of these issues um, cause us to just... uh, Think about what what Scripture tells us, and and to realize that when God said in the beginning uh, that he created the heavens and the earth, it was outside of time before time began, and it happened before we reached Genesis 1-5, which is where God God placed the first marker. So the first day was complete at that point. But you know what, Son, and and this is really what led me to write Open-Ended Creationism, When I started to think, you know, a little bit more about what the Bible says, and and not just getting too hung up on this scientific interpretation or that scientific interpretation, and, you know, whichever side people were landing on, they've got their science that they say backs up, you know, either billions of years or thousands of years. But here's what I find in the Bible. We are not given a marker sign for when the first day began, and that is key. That is key. And so we, we need to see the difference between how the first day began and then also how it ended. It's open-ended on the front side, while there's a marker to signal when the first day was completed. And, and so this is what led me to write about um, what I call open-ended creationism, uh, and uh, really considering that not only does the first day not have a marker to say when it begins, What's equally interesting, Son, is that the seventh day does not have a marker uh, that it has ended. And so we are literally still living in this period of the seventh day, if you look at it biblically. And so if you take the seventh day going out into eternity, and if you go back to um, the beginning uh, when God created the world and there's no there's no marker on the front end, what we're facing here is is eternity. And so when the Bible says, in the beginning, are we dealing with scientific evidence? No, we're not. Um, Are we dealing with truth and reality? Absolutely. And so I would have to say, son, that I believe it's wise for a Christian to to believe that in the beginning points to eternity past, and into God's eternal plan of when he created the world. I mean, that really is God's business. How are we going to know, and and let alone pinpoint it to a certain number of years?
0: That's interesting that you mentioned that point about how we are still kind of living. Like when creation happened, God did not finish that creation, but that was still living in that, because I don't think I've ever heard that before. I find that kind of fascinating. While we're on the topic of uh, Genesis 1, verse 2, or on the topic of creation in early Genesis, uh, specifically speaking with verse two, it says that the earth was without form and that darkness was on the face of the deep. Just wondering, as you were talking about uh, verse 1 and 2 there in Genesis 1, what significance do you think that this verse has in the role of creation? Uh, Why let us know that the earth was without form and it was dark? Does this have anything to do with Jesus being the light of the the world and and referring back to that salvation message, or is there something else involved here?
1: Yeah, I, I believe, Son, that when darkness is referred to there, When we look at all of Scripture, we we don't typically see darkness at all being associated with with the Lord. You know, Jesus is the light of the world. You know, in him there is no darkness. But what it really causes us to think about is what must have happened when uh, Satan, when Lucifer rebelled in heaven, having been uh, a created angel, created holy, created good, But then, as Ezekiel 28 tells us, his heart became proud on account of his beauty. And so somewhere in eternity past, if I could use that phrase, somewhere in that realm in the past, Son, uh, Lucifer fell. In fact, Jesus said uh, in, in Luke 10, he said, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. So this is, I believe, Son, the best that we can tell from God's revelation to us, this is really the beginning of darkness um, in the universe. Uh, it certainly was not originated by God. Uh, it certainly was not caused by God. Um, yes, God is sovereign. Um, but I believe what what we would be um, very accurate to say is that the angels were given free will. And Lucifer and then a third of the angels uh, seemed to follow along with that, I suppose you could call it a, a coup attempt, Um, but it had no possibility of succeeding, of course. Uh, The created angel Lucifer uh, could never have done anything to overthrow his creator, Uh, and and yet that seems to be the beginning of of, of darkness. And so perhaps that's what that early verse in the Bible is referring to there. And and of course, we see Satan show up there, don't we, then in the Garden of Eden uh, in tempting Adam and Eve. So um, again, that would be my, uh, I guess, my closest thought to what that would be referring to, and, and probably, you know, what, what Christians would uh, typically say about the word darkness there in that in that verse.
0: Well, then to follow that up, it seems that because you have that, that uh, earth without form and darkness there, because of what you just mentioned, then you take it a couple of verses later, and now all of a sudden you have the existence of uh, suffering and death because... After the creation of man came the fall of man. So first you have the angels and the devil falling from their realm. And now you have man falling in the garden by having the temptation and eating the fruit. And so their suffering of man begins a little bit later. So, you know, when you're talking time, you know, whatever that might be, there's a couple significant episodes that are written there in Genesis that talk about where we are today when it comes to the state of the earth and the state of where we're in, because you had the fall of creation, with man and with the angels that he created.
1: That, that is uh, definitely the case, son. And so um, the darkness that has come into the world uh, has come in by, by man's sin, largely. Um, I mean, Satan tempted him. Uh, Satan's dark heart, um, you know, dreamt up uh, the, uh, the thoughts that he was presenting then uh, there in the Garden of Eden. Uh, but the Bible says that through one man, sin entered the world. And so the darkness that was ushered in by man's sin, when Adam and Eve fell, uh it has brought um it has brought death, uh it has brought uh evil into the world, it has brought evil into man's heart, because now every child is is born in sin. What we mean by that, son, is that um even this innocent little baby um has a has a sinful nature. Uh and, and, and that will start to play out in that uh in that child's life, as as he or she um, begins to just demonstrate, you know, selfishness and it's all about me and I want my way. And I mean, we've all been there and done that because that's all we know by nature. Um, uh, you know, at least uh, when it comes to the sinful nature. Um, now, again, we could talk about what we what we learn when when Christ comes into our life and how that then has greater power. Uh, the light overcomes the darkness, and, and we don't have to be bound by uh, the sinful nature. In fact, we're set free from it. Uh, not that we're set free from temptation, not that we never fall again into sin, but but that whole realm of, of the, the Christian life and, and what it's intended to be and what it's empowered to be is a beautiful testimony to how um, the light of Christ, when it breaks into a soul uh, through faith in Jesus Christ, oh what a difference uh, the lord makes in someone's life.
0: Dan DelZell, pastor of Wellspring Church in Papillion, Nebraska, joining us, also the uh, author of the article The Age of the Earth is God's Business, which is what we're talking about today, is how old's the earth and is it relevant as far as the uh, the age. Also uh, open-ended creationism, which is an ebook that you can get on uh, a place like Amazon. And so you know, to me, one of the most boring parts of the Bible, and I hope I don't get lightning struck down on me for saying this, but um, you know, it's the genealogies. We look at the genealogies, and oftentimes we just kind of skip over them uh, because you know, a lot of times there's a lot of names we can't pronounce, and it goes on and on and on. And you've got, like, for example, in the King James Version, a lot of so and so begat so and so begat this person who begat that person, and there's a lot of begatting and begetting. But for yeah. some reason, these genealogies are important, especially in the New Testament, because it gives us lineage of of Jesus, the line of Jesus, where he came from. Is there significance, though, when you write uh, in the article "The Age of Earth is God's Business" about Adam being one hundred thirty years old when Seth came along? Is there significance to those genealogies, and what should we take from them?
1: Yes, that's a very good question, Son. And I think what you're pointing out here is that there is a distinction between the number of years that we find in the Bible, for example, with Adam's children, let's say, and then those that follow, we are given a specific number of years because these are not mythical figures. This is actual history. Um, You mentioned that, you know, the the, the Messiah uh, came out of a very uh, particular lineage that was prophesied about and, and foretold that he would come through this line, and so Um, This is very important in in the whole story, and even the number of years, you know, when God uh, created Adam and Eve there on day six, what we can say from Scripture um, and these years is that Scripture uh, clearly shows us, Son, that Adam and Eve were created by God uh, roughly 6,000 years ago. If you're going to take those numbers literally, and I don't know any other way to take them. I mean, when you trace along that uh, that genealogy, when you t- trace along the biblical timeline, I mean, the Jewish people understand that, that they have about a, a 4,000 year history, you know, prior to um, the time of Christ, and, and we understand that you know that's the, the amount of time that uh, roughly you know uh, the Old Testament took place in. But we're not talking there about the age of the earth. We're talking about what happened after God created Adam and Eve on day six. And that certainly does not, um, answer the question of how long were all of the days, uh, in, uh, in Genesis? How long was each day? Nor does it answer the question of how old is the earth. So, um, I would just say yes, um, those genealogies are very important. Um, they're important for a number of reasons. But it's also necessary for us to distinguish between those numbers and then this topic that we're on today with the age of the Earth, because those are really two separate issues.
0: Yeah, I was just curious. I was just throwing it out there to see what uh, what your thoughts were on that. The other thing that I'm kind of fascinated about there in Genesis is, um, in academics, you know, when you're writing. The 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 plural, the singular, you know, it's all important. It means something. Obviously, the Bible was uh, was written with purpose and intent. So in Genesis, it states that in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Uh, so we know from science and space technology that like heavens or our universe is enormous and probably bigger than we can fathom. But uh, what do you think the purpose of the heavens are? Being that it's plural. Does that have any significance, and the earth being singular, and is the vastness of this universe that God created, is it for now, or could it be for eternity after the second coming of Christ?
1: Well, Son, I think what um, what most um, Christian theologians and scholars and commentators would say about uh, the multiple heavens is that I think most would say that the, the the first heaven here is is like the Earth's atmosphere and we see you know the sky and the clouds but then you can go beyond that and of course we've got the you know the Hubble telescope and and the, you you can look out you can see the sun the moon the planets the you know many many stars out in that what many would call the second heaven uh, out there uh, in outer space um, and then. The third heaven would be thought of as um, God's uh, God's kingdom there uh, in 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 heaven, which is what we typically uh, we typically uh, you know use the word heaven in the New Testament. So when when Paul, for example, said I was caught up to the third heaven. Um, you know, many would, would say that, you know, it was certainly beyond just uh, our atmosphere, uh, beyond outer space, you know, uh, to the third heaven in that realm, you know, whether, um, you know, whether that is a distance, you know, beyond as far as we can see, or whether it just means that that third heaven is in a realm that right now we're not able to see. You know, it really boggles the mind, though, you you referred to, like, just the size of the universe and so forth, you know. Um, when you think about the fact that you know most astronomers today will say there are you know between 100 and 200 billion galaxies. I mean we can't even wrap our mind around that hardly. And then we stop. We say okay, so we're in we're in the Milky Way galaxy. And, and then you 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 say well how big is just our galaxy? And and here here's a way to think about our galaxy, son. To get from one end of the Milky Way to the other end of the Milky Way. You would have to travel at the speed of light, 186,000 miles per second, which is seven times around the Earth per second. So just picture going around the Earth seven times every second. Now, now imagine doing that, son, not just for a day or a month or a year, but for a 70-year lifetime, going around the Earth seven times every second to try to get to this distance between one end of the Milky Way and the other. Now, one lifetime of 70 years wouldn't do it, but I'll tell you, a thousand lifetimes would do it. And after a thousand lifetimes of traveling that fast, you would get from one end of the Milky Way to the other. So, you know, it it gets beyond what we can, you know, barely even uh, comprehend. But, you know, the more we learn about the universe, the more we learn about the number of galaxies, the more that we, we begin to say, wow, so that's what the Bible means, that, you know, the heavens declare the glory of God. I mean, the vastness, the, the magnitude, the power, um, just the, the size, the immensity of what God can do is, is beyond almost our understanding.
0: Dan Delzell, pastor of Wellspring Church in Papillion, Nebraska, joining us. The topic that we're talking about is, The Age of the Earth is God's Business. Or uh, basically, how old's the Earth? I guess if you want to surmise it. And it was an article that was written by Dan in the Christian Post. And and in this day and age, with uh, the way things are about uh, climate change and the end of the world is coming, and all kinds of th- stuff like geology, saying we're billions and billions of years old and so forth. I thought it would be something that would be just kind of interesting to touch on and get some perspective about. And so one of the areas that you mentioned a little bit that I'd like to just kind of address more specifically is that about science and geology. We have a lot of, you know, educated people coming out. We're saying the Earth is millions of years old, some say even billions of years old. When that is being spouted by academia and these experts, what should our reaction be towards the information?
1: Well, I'll tell you, you know, when we we get into um, geology, we're, we're we're moving into an area where um the science really does seem to uh support uh an old earth and and uh you know th- this is this is something that causes me to to think about William Jennings Bryan you know um we've had very few leaders on who have publicly promoted creationism more than Bryan did uh, and uh, he he was um serving here in the state of Nebraska um, he actually ended up, you know, um, serving for quite a few years, but it's been, uh, 90 years since, uh, Brian argued the famous case against evolution in the Scopes Monkey Trial that many people have, 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 read about. And, you know, when he was pressed by, um, uh, Clarence Darrow on that, or Darrow on that question, he sincerely stated that he didn't know the age of the earth. In fact, uh, Brian would often share this insight, on, he said, it's better to trust in the rock of ages than to know the age of rocks. And so I think it would be wise for Christians today to follow his example and to really look at the big picture. You see, um, Brian knew how to advance the biblical teaching of creation without getting hung up on a necessary tangent. And and I think today it is an unnecessary tangent when, when people just uh, especially Christians, you know, want to focus so much on only one acceptable interpretation on the age of the Earth, and uh, I just think that, you know, geology um, geology is something that uh, it helps us uh, try to wrap our mind around the age of the Earth. Uh, there would be, as John Lennox said, you know, a lot of uh, evidence uh, out there today that would not support a young Earth. Now, of course, those who do support a young Earth. Um, you know, they point to, um, you know, certain scientific uh, uh, data and so forth that, that they believe support their view. But the trouble, though, Son, is this. Um, you know, Jesus didn't say, go and make, you know, um, scientists. Now, we want Christian scientists, don't get me wrong. We're blessed to have many of them. But he said, go and make disciples. And and uh, and so what we need to understand is that our mission is to spread the gospel. Our mission is not to get hung up on uh, secondary uh, secondary issues like this. And the bottom line is there are many wonderful Christians on both sides of that issue. Um, some of them are scientists, some are not. You know, but many wonderful Christians who believe in a young earth, many wonderful Christians who believe in an older, um, and, and, and I'm, I'm talking about people who believe the Bible, who take the Bible literally, who, who uh, believe in... Uh, you know, the inerrancy of, of scripture, but who come to a different answer when it comes to the age of the earth. And so this is, again, what really drove me to uh, to want to look, what does scripture say? What doesn't it say? And and then let's try to, you know, keep focused on on the gospel as much as we can.
0: So with that being said, one of the coolest music scores ever, in my opinion, was for the movie Jurassic Park. And obviously, the movie about dinosaurs and DNA and the resurgence of dinosaurs and so on—and there's been plenty yes. that have come out. But uh, but that kind of gets people talking about you know dinosaurs, and we have fossils, and we have you know reconstructive dinosaurs from bones sitting in museums and things like that. So I'm just curious: when it comes to that, is there any biblical proof that God actually created dinosaurs, or is just any other purpose for them, or just any thoughts on on dinosaurs in general? While we're talking about this uh, topic of creation and geology,
1: you you bet, son. Well. You know, I, I think what has driven many Christians to really look hard for some biblical evidence of dinosaurs is is because the geological record um, makes it, you know, so clear that the dinosaurs, you know, walked on the earth. Now, um, I don't know. Some some would say that Job 40 and Job 41, where he writes about the uh, Leviathan and the and the Behemoth, you know there is a possibility there that that Job was referring to to dinosaurs. Um, Although I don't know that, you know, certainly all uh, biblical scholars would necessarily uh, agree with that. There are some who who would think that that's what he's talking about. To answer your question, I can't say that there's a real rock-solid biblical case uh, that that, that dinosaurs walked uh, on the earth, but based on the geological record, um, I, I think, you know, many Christians would would be wise to um to think of of Noah having you know um having some some you know uh moderate sized uh dinosaurs there on the ark you know ones that would obviously uh not take up the whole uh, the whole ark but uh you know at the time of the flood is when uh you know many would say son that um, the dinosaurs were, were likely wiped out. I mean, of course, whatever got off the ark then, um, you know, would, would have survived. But, uh, you know, at some point then, um, you know, would have gone extinct, it would seem. So, yes, I mean, I think it's it's very clear that dinosaurs were on the earth. They were created by God. I believe. And uh, and yet again, I mean, obviously that, that is a secondary issue as well, but, but a, a good question for
0: sure. Yeah, just because a lot of people, you know, they get into it, they get interested in it, and then they start talking about, you know, the science behind it. And like you said, it's just one of those things to remember that it's a good topic for conversation, but when it comes to creation and yeah. God creating things, the importance isn't the dinosaurs, it's the creator himself. We are talking Amen. with uh, Dan Delzell, pastor of Wellspring Church in Papillion, Nebraska. The topic is The Age of the Earth is God's Business, an article that Dan wrote for the Christian Post. And Dan, I can understand that uh, or why people might be interested in the age of the earth. You know, you've cited many examples and, and people that have debated about it and things like that. And, and the fact that people want an absolute answer because that is the age we live in. We live in an age where society needs absolute answers to move on. But the reality of it comes from, I think, Ecclesiastics that you write, when God says he has set eternity in the hearts of man, yet man cannot fathom what God has done. I think right there, that should tell us something that we as humans, we cannot understand God's creation as the created subject. We can't understand what the creator did. And I think sometimes when it comes to these conversations, we just don't understand or can't fathom what God has done.
1: No, I, I, I agree with that, Son, and I, I think it does drive us to then search the Scriptures and see, you know, does God have some answers in there for us? I mean, you know, there there are many wise Christians, you know, who have said that, uh, you know, God has given us mysteries, and, and one of the purposes for which God created science was to let man, you know, dive into those mysteries and, and and learn as much as possible, you know, from science and through science, but how much more, then, would God want us to learn from His love letter, these 66 books that that describe the sending of His only Son to die for us? And, you know, when we dive into those, it doesn't take too long, Son, before a person might recognize, you know, Genesis 1-1 in the beginning has a very similar ring to something in the New Testament, and then when you when you look at John one one in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God, what a person starts to uh, consider I believe son is that just as in John one one Christians uh, would would never attempt to say that well that means that you know six thousand years ago or or, or ten thousand years ago was the word you know I think when people read that in the beginning was the word. There's this sense of what you referred to, this that God has put eternity in our hearts, we can't quite understand it. You know, one day, I, I, I believe we will be able to grasp it, because uh, then we'll know fully, even as we are fully known. But if you compare John 1-1 to Genesis 1-1, you can, you can start to see where God did not put a marker on the front end. He did not do that, and and I think part of that has to do with the fact Son, that God is not a created being. You know, when, for example, an atheist, you know, asked uh, uh, John Lennox, you know, who created your God? It might have been Richard Dawkins, I believe, and, and John Lennox said, well, you know, you're operating on a, a false assumption. You're assuming that I believe in a created God. And, and you know, uh, John Lennox says, you know, we call those idols. You know, we, we've done away with those. Uh, many, many people have over the centuries. But the idea that in the beginning was the Word, and the idea that in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, we're talking about God. You know, we're talking about His eternal nature without beginning, without end. He is not a created being. He is eternal. So the fact that we have eternity, as you say, Thon, in our hearts, um, I-, I think it-, it just it points us more in that mysterious direction of, of not knowing how to quite wrap our mind around eternity, rather than, you know, trying to force something into the text that, that would say, well, you know, God created the earth, you know, so many years ago. Um Scripture really doesn't address that like it does what you and I talked about a short time ago, and that is the age of, you know, Adam and Eve's uh, children, and so on and so forth. I- I'm also reminded, son, of C.S. Lewis, and uh, he was talking about prayer, and-, and he described prayer this way. He said, God's life doesn't consist of moments following one another. If a million people are praying to him at 1030 tonight, he hasn't got to listen to them all in that little snippet we call 10:30, and then uh, Lewis went on to say, "10:30 and every other moment from the beginning to the end of the world is always the present for him." If you like to put it that way, he has infinity in which to listen to the split second of prayer put up by a pilot as his plane crashes in flames. And then C.S. Lewis says, "That's difficult, I know, but but." It is a way to try to um, think more about what Job stated when he said, "How great is God beyond our understanding, the number of his years is past finding out." So you know, we, we, we serve a Godson who is answering millions of prayers at the same time, uh, according to his will. We serve a God who um, is never rushed to get the right answer to a situation that, that we are facing and and the more that we can wrap our mind around the fact that God has no limitation and he has no beginning he is not a created being i think the more uh, it will um rise up faith within us uh to stand on the promises of god and to really declare son what a mighty god we serve that he's done all this and and he's just done it by his sheer his power his love and just his ability to do whatever he wants to do.
0: Yeah, I think the other important thing to realize, too, that, you know, in Colossians, it states that, for by him or before by Christ, all things were created, things in heaven, on earth, visible, invisible, whether thrones or powers, rulers, authorities, all things were created by him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. So as we talk about this creation, we talk about the age of the earth, it seems that the ongoing message of creation throughout the Bible makes the story of creation way more important than just the historical facts of how things started and how old things are.
1: Boy, that's a good point, Son, because, you know, a person could get so caught up in in a in a in really a technical question that the Bible does not answer, you know, like the age of the earth and and they could start to lose sight of the bigger picture that you're addressing, and that is just the the beauty of of God's creation, the the power of of God and his ability to be able to do that and and to really focus more on on God himself rather than just something as uh really as relatively minor. As, as the age of the earth, but maybe even more than that, Son, what I have found, I think, uh, from, from people who really uh, obsess on this, is that they seem to talk at least as much about their scientific interpretation of the matter. And, you know, um, the Bible is not a science textbook. Um, you know, when a person goes from being lost to being found, from uh, from being an unbeliever to a believer, you know, that that's a miracle that happens through the gospel. Faith comes from hearing the message. And so as you point out, Sam, the whole purpose of putting creation, and that the whole creation story in the Bible and everything it does tell us about creation, um, the whole point is is that we would look to the Creator, we would see His, His great plan of salvation, His great love for us, um, that we would keep our eyes on that, and what I find especially troubling, you know I, I would have to say, son, is that when people get so dogmatic on on a, a secondary issue that they don't even have any room for their fellow believers to hold a, a contrary view on something that clearly is not spelled out in scripture or that may have a couple of different you know I- I acceptable um, uh, acceptable interpretations i I think it it really um it really can become a problem in a person's heart when when they start to go off on that tangent, because I don't believe that is something the Holy Spirit um, works within us. I don't think it promotes a unity in the body of Christ. Now, I'm not talking about, you know, essential doctrines of the faith, you know, in essentials, unity, in non-essentials, liberty, in all things, charity. And so we have to be wise enough uh, to determine, are we dealing here with an essential of the faith, and... and Who in their right mind could say, oh, yes, if you don't believe in, you know, a young earth, or if you don't believe in an old earth, then, you know, you really, you can't be a Christian. I mean, that that's ludicrous. I I don't know of anyone who's saying that, even the strongest proponents of, you know, either one of those views. But with that in mind, then, I think we really do have to be careful how hard that gets pushed, because I'll tell you what has happened, Son, in the Christian Church, because I've seen it. I've seen it firsthand, as many have, and that is this um i'm just going to take for example those who are really holding to a young earth position as being the only acceptable one what what some folks will say and and some well-meaning christians is that if you don't accept their scientific interpretation and and their understanding of genesis you know and 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 their the 24-hour periods for every day there in genesis if you don't accept that then you're not accepting a literal interpretation of the Bible. Um, it, it's like a house of cards. The whole thing can come crumbling down. You, you really don't, you're, you're not taking the Bible seriously and on and on and on. And I'll tell you, son, that frankly is far from the truth. Okay? I mean, sure, there are plenty of people who don't take the Bible literally, you know, but, but when we're talking about the age of the earth, there is room there for people, let's say, like John Lennox, one of the. Uh, you know, the, the most powerful Christian apologist in the world today to hold the position that he holds. You know, um, th- 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 there have been, uh, there have been many believers, you know, who, like Norm Geisler and Hank Hanegraaff, who I quoted, and, and so many others who are not promoting, you know, just one interpretation. And this is why I wrote Open Ended Creationism. And one of the things that I say, Son, in addition to the fact that there's no, um, We're not told when day one began. We're not told when day seven, you know, will end. It's open-ended. I I wrote it because I find in Scripture that there is room for some mystery here. There is room on this issue. And I'll tell you, Son, I'm one. I, I tell you, I'm one person. I take the Bible literally. I believe Genesis is is literal. I believe the numbers of the uh, those uh, you know Adam's uh, sons that we talked about. I believe those numbers are literal. I believe Adam and Eve were created six thousand years ago. Okay, but when we start talking about what in the beginning means, I, I would I would say in love and in gentleness to somebody who says it can only be six thousand years. Then what I would say is this well then, you you really would need to say the same thing, wouldn't you, about John 1-1? And, and the minute you begin to say that Jesus was the Word, and that John is only talking about 6,000 years ago, um, hopefully you'll begin to see how ridiculous that sounds, and how off-base that sounds. And so I'm not saying a person is wrong to have a young earth position. I'm not saying that they're less biblical or more biblical, or, or that one, one view is sinful and one isn't. But I believe where the Spirit of the Lord is on, there is freedom. And I agree with Norm Geisler and John Lennox and Hank Hanegraaff and a whole host of others who would just simply say, guys, if you're pushing one view only, chill out a bit. You're not helping the body of Christ as a whole. Oh, you might have a little almost cult-like following for that narrow view, but hey, guys, in the Christian Church, we don't try to bind somebody's conscience on these secondary issues. People who do that, they get called a cult, and rightly so. There has to be room for disagreement on these non-essentials, and when that's not given sound to people, it, it's really a dangerous climate, and it can it can really do I would say almost more harm than good.
0: I think he even wrote that you know in these secondary issues, if you become dogmatic, uh, you are actually starting to tread on thin ice. Uh, Dan Belzell joining us. The topic is The Age of the Earth is God's Business, an article that he wrote for the Christian Post, just talking about the age of the earth and is there significance to knowing it. You know, one of the things that that we face today, and you're in Nebraska, I'm in California, um, and that is, you know, climate change. It's it's a huge political topic right now. A lot of people suggesting some crazy things, like in California here, uh, we can't have plastic straws because it's bad for the environment. Uh, we can't use plastic bags unless we pay 10 cents at the store, because apparently if you pay 10 cents, you don't ruin the environment. Um, but, you know, you come up with all these nutty things. Some politicians are saying the end of the earth is a decade away. And now they're saying, oh, I'm just kidding. I didn't really mean that. But, uh, but global warming is a topic that a lot of people are talking about. Climate change, things like that. And it's going to do us all in. You know, without getting too political, kind of like the dinosaur question, I'm just kind of curious on your thoughts. You know, how should we act as custodians of the planet? Because God, you know, entrusted the planet to us, and obviously we need to take care of it. But there's also a time when he comes back, he ain't going to be too nice to it. Um, so what would you have to say about us being custodians of the planet? How should we act, climate change, things like that? What's your thoughts?
1: Yeah, great question, Son. You know, my my feeling on that, I guess, would be similar to the way I look at the, the, uh, the age of the Earth question. Um, we're in a realm there where there are uh, different scientific opinions and and you've got well meaning people on both sides of the issue who come to completely uh different conclusions. I mean, I agree with you that um, you know, we, we are to be uh stewards of the earth. Um we we are to be thankful to the Lord for what he's given us, we are to do what we can to help care for this earth that God has given us. Um and, and you know, uh there there's no doubt, son, that some Christians uh, will, will have a, a role in their life, a job, a career, where uh, maybe they even have, um, greater responsibility and opportunity to do that. But all of us have, have a role there. Um, but I would say this though again, um, it, it, it is for the Christian a secondary issue, uh, if you're going to look at scripture, be, be, because in scripture, um, no one would ever be instructed to save the planet while they lose their own soul. I mean, Jesus talked about what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world, and referring, of course, to material possessions and money. But I think we could say the same thing, Son, about saving the planet. What does it profit a man if he saves the planet but loses his own soul? It doesn't mean that being a good steward isn't important. It's not uh, downplaying it, but it is a matter of priorities. It, it's a matter of what did Jesus send the disciples out to do? And um, because Jesus was very clear on the eternal destiny son, two extreme, only two, uh, the number two, only two extreme destinies in eternity. Uh, number one, heaven. Number two, hell. Both are very extreme. Um, eternity in hell is global warming on steroids, and eternity in heaven is beyond our wildest imagination of joy, and, and peace and love, but, but this son is where every single person will spend eternity in one of those two places. Now, we, we, can, we can't prove that scientifically, but we can take it on faith, because Jesus, the one who rose from the dead, and, and there's plenty of evidence to support his resurrection, biblical evidence, and, and, and other things we could talk about just to support um, the fact that he rose from the dead, but, but he's the one who spoke of heaven and hell. Now, I know, Son, that, uh, you know, um, many today laugh off uh, these ideas, especially hell, but, but really, even heaven, I would say, gets laughed off. Um, and I know I'm kind of moving a little bit away from your question about climate change, but I, I guess I would just have to say that like the age of the Earth, okay, if a person starts to get so obsessed with only one interpretation of the scientific data, and this is especially true for Christians, I would say, Um, it's not going to be long before that becomes essentially your gospel message, uh, where where, where you start to feel as though if other Christians don't share your view on that issue, that one interpretation of the scientific data, somehow they're missing the boat, somehow they are, you know, uh, really out in left field, and maybe they're even lost, you know? So we have to be careful um, the convictions that we hold are, you know, can be very good. If they're grounded in Scripture, they're very good. Some things, you know, they, they they go into this realm of science, like, you know, geology, and and then talking here about, you know, global warming, so age of the earth stuff, climate change stuff. Um, I, I would just say, Son, that we have to be careful that we, we don't let our focus move away from Christ and Him alone so that as we go about teaching creationism, as we go about, um, you know, encouraging people to be good stewards of the earth, you know, go for it. But, but but just be careful, because you're moving into an area there on that secondary issue where some have kind of fallen off, um, and and now they're so obsessed with that. And and it's not blessing those around them. It's not blessing their fellow Christians unless, of course, they just have a small little group that all looks the same. It looks at that the same way, and they refuse to accept a, a, an alternative view on that, which um, really they should they should stop and really think about. So I I would leave it at that, son.
0: Well, I think moving away from the the climate change, like you have mentioned in there, is uh, is a perfect perfect segue into into this that you write in the ebook, open ended creationism. Uh, you write, after all, the superstar of the Bible is Jesus and not the earth, and science yeah. is not king. Jesus is king of kings and lord of lords, and that is yeah. what we ultimately have to remember is the who and not the what.
1: Well, that's it, son. You know, um, we, we can go across this bridge quite easily, you know, from what we're talking about, um, scientific interpretations of the age of the earth. We talked a little bit about, you know, climate change. But, but you know, in America, science, for many people, is their king uh, but 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 here 's what happens Swan. Um, Scientism is this idea that you know anything that we can know, anything that we can be sure is true uh it 's something that science can 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 demonstrate for us, and if science cannot show us that it 's true, then there 's no way to know that it 's true and, and so um I actually wrote an article one time, saw, dealing with the fact that, you know, scientism really um, comes from a one-dimensional worldview. Um, our Lord has who knows how many dimensions in heaven. Um, our Lord is, is the king, you know, King Jesus. You know, he created science. So while some people are living down on this very low level, and what I mean by that, they may be super intelligent. My goodness, I mean, they could be a Stephen Hawking, for that matter. They could be an Albert Einstein, you know. But, but when I say living on this low level, what I mean is they've gone as far as human intellect can take them, you know. Um, you know, we're, we're familiar with this quote by Albert Einstein where, you know, it's kind of like this child in a library. And, you know, he sees all these books and, and you know, he doesn't really know, you know, much about them, But he knows that somebody had to write them. And so there, there seems to be a designer, you know, from there. I mean, that's about as far as Albert Einstein was able to get with his intellect. Um, that's, that's one dimension though, Son, until you enter this spiritual realm by being born again through faith in King Jesus, okay, you are oblivious to the gospel, you are oblivious to this whole other realm that, you know, C.S. Lewis, you know, beautifully uh, laid out in the Chronicles of Narnia, and, and so the children are playing hide-and-seek, and they, they go through this wardrobe, this, this, uh um... Uh, dresser, uh, as it, as it were there in, in this, uh, in this castle and, and they go through the back of it and on the other side is, is Narnia. So, so there is a realm, son, that talks about being seated with Christ in the heavenly realms. You only get there through faith in Jesus Christ. You can be an Albert Einstein. You could be a Stephen Hawking. But if science is your king, okay, you will either bow your knee to King Jesus and get born again in this life. Or you will bow your knee when you stand before him one day, and that will not be uh, a day that you will enjoy or anything after that. So the, the question is, when am I going to bow my knee to King Jesus? Am I going to do it now, with the faith of a child? Am I going to not get distracted by, by some of these scientific arguments, you know, Christians on one side or another, this or that? Um, the, the key, as you point out there, Son, is that we, we want to get to christ himself if you use like that library that that einstein talked about it's as if one book there's one book in there it's called holy scripture if you pull down that one book it's got like this this light shining from it we talked about light and darkness you need to get that one book down and then it's not enough though to just have the bible you have to be able to get to the Gospel, which is throughout the Bible. But if you don't get that one book, which is what Christians try to bring to the scientists and, you know, anybody who doesn't know the Lord, right? And many scientists do. But you have to get to that one book. You have to get to the Gospel. And if you'll pull that one book down, you know, Einstein himself could have gone far beyond. Um, because his intellect, you know, there is this supernatural awareness that, that and, and understanding that comes only when the holy spirit comes to live within you the man without the spirit does not accept the things that come from the spirit of god for they are foolishness to him he cannot understand them because they're spiritually discerned so so some of the the, the, the people perhaps with with very low intellect as well as high intellect are going to be in heaven it has it's not about intellect it's about have you made it beyond the first dimension have you made it into this realm where King Jesus is now your personal Lord, your personal Savior, and the Holy Spirit's living within you? And the only way to get there is to repent of your sin and believe the good news. And I'll tell you, son, you know, what a tragedy that some will go to their grave. They have all the answers they think they need on on maybe um, the age of the earth or global warming. But what does it profit a man if he saves the planet? What does it profit a man if he's convinced himself about the age of the earth? but he loses his own soul. That's the message of King Jesus. That's why he died on the cross. That's why he rose again, son, for our sins, because we needed a Savior. We didn't need another scientist. We've got many wonderful scientists, and every one of them have been created by God. He's given them their knowledge. But like, we need him on a personal level, or we are lost. Two destinations in eternity, they're both extreme. Which one, my friend, are you going to choose? Christ or some other way?
0: And you mentioned Williams Jennings Bryan over the course of the interview and the conversation, yeah. and he had that great quote, it's better to trust in the rock of ages than to know the age of rocks. And I know you just touched on it, but I like, I like to ask it directly because I want people to know that this is the, the question that I'm asking you. Uh, it leads us to the saving message of salvation and Jesus dying on the cross. I know you just touched on it and we're talking about it, mm-hmm. but can you share with us the salvation, uh, salvation message? And if someone wants it today... How can they receive it?
1: Well, as you're listening to this today, my friend, um, you are either um, living with Christ in you or not. You are either living with the Holy Spirit inside you or not. You are either living with faith in Christ or not. Now, if you're not yet there, okay, it doesn't mean you're a bigger sinner than, than, than others. It just means that you have not yet been spiritually reborn. And this is why Jesus in John 3 said to Nicodemus, but it applies to all of us, you must be born again. So in order for that to happen, it's a matter of you recognizing that you have sinned against your Creator, you've sinned against God, who is the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You've broken God's commandments in your thoughts, in your words, in your deeds, we all have. And in that sense, we're all equal there at the foot of the cross. We are all sinful. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God it says in Romans. And the only way to have our sin forgiven is to have it washed away by the blood of Jesus, and that happens when you receive him as your Savior. Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And so today, my friend, it's just a simple step of faith, where you surrender your heart, your soul to the Lord. It doesn't mean you have many answers right now, it just means that you know the problem, and that you are the problem, as am I. I mean, well, what, what I mean by that is we have sinned. We have a major problem. But, they, but God will love us. He will love you. He will accept you. It's not somebody else's sin. It, it's not your relative's sin. It's your sin. It's my sin. And so today, if you'll just give that sin to Jesus and say, Lord, I'm guilty. I'm not going to make excuses. I'm guilty. I need forgiveness. I receive you today. I accept you as my, my Lord and my Savior, and I'm willing to to follow you now with my life. That, my friend, is how you can be spiritually reborn, and, and you can then go forward in, from this moment and, and have Christ uh, as your Savior and as your friend. If you're just right now in your heart, just say, Lord Jesus, I'm a sinner. I cannot save myself. Just repeat that, if you would, in your heart. But I believe you died on the cross. I believe you died for my sins. And I believe you rose again on the third day. Live in my heart. Live in my life. Be my Savior. I want to follow you, Lord. Fill me with the power of the Holy Spirit. And, and then let me know from your word that from this day forward, I am eternally secure in Jesus. I am eternally secure to follow you. I cannot promise you, Lord, that I'll never make another mistake. But, Lord, today I give you my life. Help me, Lord, so that I live the righteous life you're calling me to live. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.
0: Amen, indeed. Pastor Dan Dozell from Wellspring Church in Papillion, Nebraska, thanks so much. The Age of the Earth is God's Business was the topic today. It could be found on the ChristianPost.com, along with many other articles that he has written. Also, um, the book, uh, an e-book that we touched on was Open-Ended Creationism, uh, Amazon, I think it was 99 cents on Amazon. So, uh, you know, it's very, it's a very good read, very, uh, I don't want to say simplistic from the standpoint of the knowledge inside is simplistic, but it's easy to read. And I think sometimes when it comes to these type of topics, it's important to have simplicity and understanding. And so we appreciate you and thank you uh, for that. Uh, anything else you'd like to share before we uh, we go?
1: No, I tell you something, I just want to thank you for, for tackling this topic. I, I want to thank uh, each one who uh, has taken the time to listen to this. And, and I just want to encourage you, my friend, to just, um, you know, continue to always look to Scripture uh, for the answers. Um, it doesn't mean we're going to get all the answers that we want in this life, but the most important things that we need to know about life and death and eternity, God has revealed in His Word. And, and, and where some things still are kind of fuzzy in our mind, um, one day when we get to heaven, um, those things will become clear. In the meantime, we're called to love one another. Well, we're called to to not uh, major on a secondary issue or let it become a point of, of division between us and other believers or or just any people, for that matter. And uh, we want to go out and love people and, and help them find the truth in Christ. So um, thank you, Son, again for uh, for this topic and for having me on today.
0: You bet. Thank you so much. So in the end, the age of the earth, is it important? Well, not as important as the uh, knowing the Creator and some things we just can't fathom. And age is just a number, and we need to live day by day, because at one day, we're going to, like you mentioned, either end up in two extremes, the extreme of heaven or the extreme of hell. And that's more important than a number of the planet of Earth that's going to uh, not be around for eternity like we can and will be. Pastor, thanks so much. We look forward to the next time, and, uh, and just appreciate all your insights.
1: Thank you, Son. It was my pleasure.